Romans chapter 5, verses one, or verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone may possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, tonight, as we continue uh, looking at uh, this idea of what survival looks like in this season, uh, God, I pray that, that tonight what we would be landed on is that the goal is not just to get through it. The goal is maturity. The goal is to become more like Christ. Uh, the goal is to understand your will. Where we want to end up are people who are lacking nothing. Uh, because through the storm and through the trials and through the issues, uh, through the suffering and through the struggle... God, you've led us, you've taught us, we've not left you or abandoned you, we've stayed the course, we've stayed faithful, and as we've done so, you've formed something in us that cannot be produced in any other way. So Father, tonight what we're asking for is if we're going to struggle and suffer anyways, God, would you do a work in us that matures us to be different kinds of people on the other end? So Father, we give all this to you in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Uh, Last week, uh, I was not here, uh, and uh, LaMarcus, I was super, I always get excited when LaMarcus preaches uh, because he sweats a lot and cries a lot and uh, doesn't sleep, I think, for weeks or days at a time, uh, doesn't eat maybe for days, um, and, uh, and then you would never know it because he kills it. And so last week, it was super fun uh, to hear that, listen to it, and honestly, um, it was one that I was excited just because I know his life uh, and his heart and just hearing him preach out of gratitude was important. And here's why it's important for us to think of when we think of how do we survive, not just 2020. 2020 needs some survival, but so do all the other areas of struggle and suffering in our life. Some of you are in marriage issues that have nothing to do with COVID whatsoever. It's just because you're two broken people trying to figure this thing out. Uh, some of you are dealing with work issues, and it's not COVID-related. It's all these other things. We're, we're going to struggle and suffer no matter what. It just seems there's a different brand of it that we're dealing with right now that we've not dealt with before. And here's the tendency in all of these things. We tend uh, in moments of suffering and struggle to get into our feelings. Now, I know you aren't that kind of person, but I can tend to be. Where when things get hard, it's easy to start getting into the, well, I feel this way and I'm moving this way. And here's the reality for us is we tend to get into our feelings, but we need to get into thanksgiving. And I thought LaMarcus did a fantastic job last week of being a constant reminder that instead of getting into our feelings, we need to get into a spirit of thanksgiving. And this week, there is a Bible theme 
Uh, There's a characteristic that flows throughout Scripture from Genesis all the way through John's teaching and revelation. Uh, There's uh, elements of it that cover the entire gospel story of who Jesus is and what he's forming into his disciples. We see this theme show up in people like Joshua. We see this theme show up in people uh, like um, uh, David and Isaiah and Jeremiah. We see this flow through uh, the prophets and God's faithful people as they persevere. We see its absence when the church and God's people are drifting far from him, but we see its presence when they're killing it and the church is on fire. And the word is perseverance. It's not a word that we necessarily want because in order to have perseverance, you need to have something to persevere and that's what we don't like. And I think for a lot of us, especially in the culture we live in and the time of history we belong to, a lot of us have done so much in our life to make sure we don't have to struggle that we don't even want to deal with perseverance. But we forget that God's plan is to develop perseverance so we become different kinds of people who struggle differently. We tend to get swallowed up when seasons like this happen, uh, but God's call for his people is to mature into perseverance. Uh, let, Let me let you in on a little secret in case you don't see it in yourself. We are horrible at going through trials. If anyone disagrees, we can talk after service. We're horrible at it. I'm horrible at it. I'm a whiny baby. I want things my way, ending up the way I want them to. The world works best if it were to stick with my blueprint of it. But guess what would happen if it stuck to my blueprint? You would all suffer because I'm a really selfish person. And so when the world starts revolving around me, or at least in my uh, situation, I feel like it should is I can get into a spot that is not just unhealthy for me, but it's unhealthy for everyone around me. Most destruction I've seen uh, in in families and individuals and workplaces and friendships is primarily due to a lack of not being able to struggle very well. Maybe it's because what we deem as poverty is still wealthy to most of the world, and so when we go without, we think the world's over, Because we don't see the blessings that God's actually given us. A lot more times we act like Israel complaining in the desert than we do the powerful church of God where he says the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And in our struggle we end up becoming the kinds of people that don't look like the ambassadors of Christ that we've been called to. We look like the Israel that's crying out to God and Moses for a different leader to take them back into Egypt because at least there the people that had us in captivity at least fed us and housed us. And we would prefer that than being out out of control by faith in God's provision. No one's intuitively great at perseverance. I don't know that I've met anybody that just naturally on their own says, ah, bring it on. Instead, you have to be led well to be matured in the process. And a lot of us have not allowed Jesus to lead us very well so that we are matured in the process. But this is a hallmark of following Jesus. To a Christian, struggle is an opportunity, it's not an obstacle. 
When we see struggle, we see a chance for Christ-likeness to develop and grow. When we bump into moments of opposition or uh, pain in ourselves, we have to sift through how much selfishness is causing it and how much of Jesus can cure it. We typically see it as an obstacle, right? Things like, well, if my life wasn't so hard, then I would fill in the blank. If my marriage wasn't so bad, then I would fill in the blank. If my finances weren't so broken, then I would fill in the blank. Because of all the struggle and suffering and pain and issues that are in my life, I can't do what God's called me to do. Instead of realizing what is God calling you and leading you through that struggle to become more mature, to gain perseverance so that we go through it different and become somewhat different in Christ Every struggle is an opportunity to mature to become more like Christ. We need to evaluate, is our goal to become more like Him, or is it to become more successful? Because you'll struggle different. Is our goal to become more like Christ, or is it simply to be more happy? Is it simply just to have life be more easy? Because you're following the wrong Savior if you're looking for ease of life. You've chosen the wrong king over your life, if you're looking for comfort, if you're looking for a life uh, where things are just happy all the time. We cannot experience the resurrected life if we don't go through the crucifixion struggles. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul's writing to this church in Philippi from a prison cell. Because he loved Jesus so much, he couldn't stop telling people about him. They threw him in jail. And from the jail cell, he writes a letter to this church in Philippi reminding them, God's not done with you yet. In his struggle and in his grief and in his uh, his moments of suffering, he's encouraging and he's giving away. Why? Because he's learned perseverance. And he gives us a window into his process in verse 10 of chapter 3 when he says this. He says, I want to know Christ. Now the Greek word there for the word to know doesn't mean uh, like he wants to become Facebook friends with him. He's not looking for a casual uh, relationship. Uh, This is an intimate word. Uh, It's a a word that involves this idea of dwelling and intimacy. Uh, It's this idea that we would know each other in a way uh, that almost lends itself to only in a marriage context could you know someone like this. There's an intertwining of who I am and who he is, and I want that. And yes, to know the power of his resurrection, that's what we all want. New life gets us excited. His mercies are new every morning. We love those sermons. His goodness will follow me for the days of my life. We want all of that. We want the resurrection. But what he says is this. I also want to participate in his sufferings. How many of us pray that this morning? God, throw a struggle at me. God, I want to be involved in the hurt that you experience. God, open me up to the grief that you see when you look around the world. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. 
It's crazy to me when you look at the life of Paul, you see someone who understands if I want to celebrate Easter Sunday, then we've got to mourn our way through Good Friday. If I want to live that life that leads me to be someone who is caught on fire with the Spirit of God because I've experienced His goodness and I've seen His goodness in my life and I've seen His faithfulness when I've not been and I've seen Him bless me when I didn't deserve it, it's because we've been through the struggle. We've been through the Good Friday. We've walked with Jesus as he died for something he didn't have to do. When he looked on the sin in our own life, when we ran away from him and he still chased after us. It's kind of a divine Forrest Gump story with Jenny, if you ask me. Here's a truth I want to expose for some of us. And I only expose it because God's done a good job of doing some surgery on me in this. Many of us are stuck in struggle because we're trying to follow someone else towards success instead of following Jesus into a resurrection. We're trying to reach the American dream, and that's not going to go through Good Friday. We're trying to be happy all the time, but that doesn't lead to holiness. We're pursuing things that Jesus never pursued, so we end up drifting from where he is, and we end up going places he's not at and wondering why God won't save us from the place that we're in. If we're going to survive 2020, and guess what? This time next year, we're going to have to survive 2021. Because 25 years ago, we needed to survive that year too. And it's the same stuff that'll do it over and over. And it's not waiting for life to get easier. It's pursuing Christ when it's not. It's seeing life and reality for what it is. And realizing that God showed up to a broken world with broken people who on our own are a hot mess. And most of the gospel story is Jesus redeeming the mess we created so we could become more and more like him. Not just after we die, but the minute we surrender our life to him. And then the next morning, and the next morning, and the next morning, and the next morning. If you came in tonight with the weight and pressure of life pressing down on you, I want to help you find a Jesus that can save you and strengthen you. And here's the liability. Some of us have been walking with Jesus so much we forget how much we need him. Because when the medical report comes in from a family, you forget how much you need him because now you've got to solve all the problems. And because you can't be present, you forget about God who always is and will never leave you and will never forsake you. In your financial problems, we start assuming that our provision's up to us instead of remembering Jesus telling us that God is taking care of the birds of the field or air and the lilies of the field. Why wouldn't he take care of his children? But if you're not following him, you're going to forget and you're going to take on the role of God and you're not good at it. I know, I've tried. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, writes this. He says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, and man, sometimes when we're reading through these letters, we can skip over this Jesus-y language. The hard part is that Jesus-y language is the disconnect why we don't pursue him maybe further every day. And you can't stop in this sentence without giving praise to God without thinking of where you've been in your life and the struggles you've been through, if you, if you can breeze past through this stuff 
There may be issues in there to why you're not experiencing them in ways that you see God showing up in everyone else's life. Some people would read that sentence and drop down crying because they know what it took to justify them. We've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't continue underselling the value of your eternity to yourself. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. I know that. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, no, I've been saved from my sin. What? Think of the messiness of your life. Think of the messiness of your past. Think of the messiness of your morning. The ticket out of that was his grace on you and your faith in him. That's it. That's it. So when Paul starts writing this letter and we land with, therefore, since you've been justified through faith, it's a moment for us to stop and realize all it takes for justification of the things that I've done wrong, for Jesus to cover all of that, is just to believe. It's not to grovel at every moment. It's not to repay a giant debt that I don't have money for. It's not to climb a mountain and do a bunch of crazy stuff. All I've got to do is believe this God who said he loved me and showed up for me. That he gave himself for me in grace. And I just have to trust that the gospel is what's needed. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know how to spell the word peace after the last nine months, pay attention to those last few words of the sentence because it comes in one particular way in Jesus Christ. And the further you are from him, the less peace you'll find. And the closer you are, the more you'll have a hard time understanding why you were so worried about things that you were before because you've seen God take control of things in the past. You've seen him provide. You've seen him dig you out of stuff no one else could get you out of. If you don't have peace, then you need to get back to Jesus. He keeps going in verse 2 and he says, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. We've gained access We couldn't get there on our own. It wasn't ours to jump into. You couldn't get there by yourself. And all of us tried and we failed. Into his grace in which we now stand. In which we stand. And that's a word in the middle of struggle and pain and hardship that we need to take heart of. Because when struggle and pain and hardship hits, we can be in fetal position in the corner sucking our thumb and crying. But in grace through faith with Jesus, we're standing in the middle of it. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I love this sentence. Because of what Jesus has done and because of who we have access to, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Boast in it. Not scared, not frustrated, not worried. Not in constant tension of what comes next and how does it work. We boast because we've got a hope, because we've seen God show up and do things we never could have done. We've seen him deliver when we never could have. And now we've got something to brag about to anybody that wants to know because we have hope in 2020. Verse 3 says, not only so, 
but we also glory in our sufferings. We don't just have hope in Jesus and what he's done. We've got glory in our suffering because we know that that suffering produces something. We can go through all of this and smile because, man, I can't wait to see what God is going to develop out of it. I can't wait to see how he prepares us for the next thing. Now, no one in the middle of struggle is just joyfully jumping and saying, oh, I can't wait to see. You know what I'm saying? But all of us should be able to have the perspective to know that God, he who began a good work in you, is in this season carrying it on to completion. You're not where you're going, but you're closer than where you were yesterday. You're not fully formed yet, and you probably won't be until eternity, but you're moving in that direction. And he says there's something here, there's glory that's going to come in our suffering. God isn't wasting the issues we've got going on. God's not looking at the struggles that we currently have and bypassing it because he's aimed at greater things. He's using it to form something in us that will develop the kind of person that can handle the greater things. Following Jesus could accurately be described as a struggle. The name that God gives for his people, Israel, means to wrestle. This life of following God is not a playground, it's a battleground, as Warren Wearsby used to say. In this struggle is how we experience God. If you've got it all together, you probably don't need a Savior. And if you've got it all together, write a book and let me read it. And until you do, God already did, and it's been really good for me these last 20-some years. In that struggle, God will get glory because as you allow him to lead you and use you and form you in it, he will continue to mature and carry you to someone uh, that he's called you to be. People have falsely claimed that if you are struggling or suffering, then you must not be faithfully following Jesus. Have you ever heard that? You must not have enough faith. I'm sick. I'm going through struggles. I'm having a hardship. Well, you must not be that close to God. Here's more what I've found, is that if you aren't struggling or suffering, there's a good chance you may not be following Jesus. Because the Savior we've chose to follow went through it. And if you're following him, you're going to go through it with him. There's good that's going to come out of that. I love Jesus even used the analogy of once you bury a seed in the dirt and it's dead, the new life can pop up out of it. That's the Jesus following life. There's death that continues to have to happen. Death that scares us. That's why COVID scares me sometimes. It's the death part of it. And what God allows us to break through in this resurrection Easter story of Jesus is a constant reminder that God does his best work when we put things to death. When we put areas of our life to death, that in the struggle and surrender and suffering, as we submit that to God, and it's put to death, and it's buried, to watch what resurrection pops up in us. To follow Jesus is to be in a constant struggle with the absence of God all around us. That's the suffering you'll find. 
For a lot of us, our biggest issue during the election season probably wasn't so much about the candidates, was the lack of God we saw in the world all around us. In people who claimed to be following him and were acting like they knew nothing about him. It's the suffering from not being at home in the presence of God. Don't forget, we don't belong here. When we were redeemed, when Jesus set us free, when we were brought into this new place, we started leaving our citizenship wherever it is here. And we started belonging way more to wherever he is and what he's doing across this. And so don't forget, a lot of the struggle we sense is we have a longing to be with our Father and we're not there completely yet. That's going to allow us to suffer a little bit. I want us to look at a couple things because for a lot of us, we didn't see people struggle well. We've not seen people suffer well. And some of that erases a thing in us that we don't know how to do it. And here's a couple ways that we see in Scripture. If you're going to develop perseverance out of the struggle, one of the things you've got to do is stay prayed up. And not like say your prayer before dinner type stuff. God bless the peas. It's done. He really blessed the cheeseburger. But that's not what we're talking about. It's a daily walk of following with Jesus and talking with him and surrendering to him and giving him things and asking him questions and leaning on him for guidance and surrendering fears and doubts and asking him to, God, help me in my unbelief and asking him over and over, how do I be a better dad and husband and follower? What does it look like to engage my neighbors? How do we walk in this? God, show me, shape me, work with me. Uh, when I'm in meetings, God, speak to me. Tell me what you want me to see and experience and feel. God, in this struggle, what am I supposed to be learning? You can't do that in 30 seconds before you eat dinner every couple nights. Being prayed up is different than saying a couple prayers. It's being the kind of person that is walking his life to imitate Christ. It's someone who's practicing the presence of God. I need to be better on Monday, remembering that as I'm at work, Jesus is with me. And I need to remember that when I wake up, whether I'm cranky or not, it doesn't matter because Jesus is with me. When I'm traveling and when I'm worried and when I'm scared and when I'm angry, I need to practice the presence of God. That's what being prayed up looks like. Psalm chapter 18, verse 1. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. Psalm goes this way, the Lord is my rock my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, my place of safety. Did you catch the words? When the person writing this psalm thinks of God, they think of a rock and a fortress and a Savior and a place of protection, a shield, a power that saves me and a place of safety. Now, what do we go to in the middle of our deepest struggles that fill that job description? We can pray that prayer and sound really good. But on Tuesday, what's the fortress you go run into when all hell breaks loose in your life? What's the rock that you're standing on because you know it's firm? Or so you think. What's the shield that you hide behind when things are coming at you? And some of us need to pay closer attention to it's not as much God as what we think it is. We need to open our eyes to how much we use other things and other people 
and other circumstances and other substances to be what God is supposed to be. If you're going to develop perseverance in the struggle, you need to get better at running to the right place and the right person for your help. You cannot run away from God in the moments you need to be running towards him the most. If you need help, read the prodigal son. Full inheritance of God takes off away from him. And that's what we do. Wherever else you're running to is not a rock that you can stand on. It's not a fortress you can can on. It's not a shield that you're able to hide behind. It's not a power you can rest in. And it's not a place of safety where you can find peace. Here's how I know that. Because in your despair, you constantly are complaining about your life's weak foundation. Wherever you're running to, you still end up complaining about having no support. There's no security here. There's no protection. I feel weak. I feel drained. I feel exhausted. And sometimes it's because the fortress, the shield, the rock that we ran to isn't worthy of holding up to what God said he can do. Satan's smart. So smart, he's only got a couple tricks in his book, and they work every time. If he can just get us running to other things, then we'll forget how much we need him. You don't need a different life. You need to stop living in your new life with dead expectations in the things that were killing you in your old life. The things that we used to run to before Jesus. When things get rough, we become like Israel. We're out here trusting you, God, and I don't know where food is coming from today. We're out here trusting you, God, and I don't know who's protecting us. We're out here trusting you, God. And I would rather someone take me and lead me back to Egypt. Sure, I was a slave, but they fed me. Sure, I was in bondage, but they put a roof over my head. I at least was comfortable with life back then. And we sound more like that than the kinds of people who have been justified through faith and have peace in Christ Jesus. In verse 6, he says, But in my distress I called out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help, and he heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Here's the power that we have in prayer. We cry out, and he hears you from his throne. For the last, I don't know how many years, many of you have been alive and you've been voting. You can cry out for all you want to from the president. Guess what? They're not going to hear you. Doesn't matter if you like the one that's sitting there or not. They're not going to hear you. And we'll bypass the fact that the creator of the universe can hear you from his throne when you cry out to him. And we don't think it's big enough deal to run to it too often. The writer of the psalm has this perspective. God is who I cry out to. He's who I go to. He's who I find my rest in. He's who I find my strength in. And when I cry out to him, he hears me from the throne. Don't miss the power of the fact that the God of the universe, creator and sustainer of everything, on your worst days, he's just as good as he was on your best days. He's not changed in your wavering seasons. That he hears you when you cry out. This isn't about just saying a prayer or remembering to pray when you think about it, but living a life of continual prayer that invites the presence of God into every aspect of your life. He's the only one who can do what you need 
in your struggle. He hears all your prayers to him from the throne that he sits on. And don't for one minute think that in your pain, he's forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you in his suffering, and he's the only reason that you're getting through it. And not only that, he's building something in you through it so long as you are in constant communication with him. God will lead you out of this. He's going to build something in you as he goes. And if you're not listening, you're going to miss it. Here's the reality. At some point, COVID's going to be over. And the sad part for many of us, all we're going to be thankful for is that it was over, not who we've become because of what God's formed in us through it. God has greater things, I'm convinced of it. Some of us have not been developed enough in the struggle to be ready for whatever God has next because we didn't surrender when it was hard. We have to be prayed up or we run the risk of forgetting where our strength comes from. If you aren't praying for it, it's one of my favorite preaching lines, then you'll be paying for it. If you're not surrendering that stuff to God, you better believe it's going to cost you something down the road. God will not waste this suffering. He is developing perseverance in you. And the struggle of this season is the most effective classroom of maturity that he's got. And he's maturing you for greater things. Another thing of perseverance is this, is if you're going to develop perseverance out of the struggle, then you need to stay suited up too. Not just prayed up, you need to be wearing the right things. You need to be clothing yourself in the right ways. You need to be covered up in the kinds of stuff that God's called us to. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul writes this. He says, finally, after the whole letter, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He writes this to a church that's currently struggling. And as he closes out the letter, he reminds the church, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not in your $8 bottle of wine. Throw that out there. Not in crying yourself to sleep. Not in complaining all the time. Not in eating yourself silly. Not in binge watching Netflix hoping you can forget the real world as you fall into a fictional one. Not following some weird rabbit trail of whatever conspiracy theory your political uh, leanings will take you down. But your strength is going to be found in the Lord and in his mighty power. So he says in verse 11, then put on the full armor of God. So that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take a stand when the devil's coming at you. He's got a playbook he's going to throw at you. Are you ready for it? When you're in the middle of a massive struggle, you need to do better at not getting knocked down because of your feelings, but taking a stand because of your strength in the Lord. Don't forget, church, who's fighting for you. Don't forget, church, and lose sight of what he's already equipped in you. And open your eyes to the perseverance God is working into your life in this season. The devil has a playbook he can throw at you, and you have to be suited up with everything he's got so that you can make it. I love in verse 12, Paul continues, says this, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Instead, it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
So don't get so spiritually lazy that you assume that it's people trying to come at you. Jesus said to love and to pray for your neighbor. Jesus said to love and pray for your enemy. But suit up so that you can take a stand against the real enemy. Because it's easier to complain about people than it is to fight against Satan. And many of us take the easy way out. So many of us are being defeated day in and day out because we're fighting the wrong enemy. While you're distracted with someone else or even yourself, Satan is having a field day in your mind and in your heart and in the way you're operating. That's why he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And even after you've done everything to stand, Perseverance builds up in us the kinds of people who don't fall over when it gets hard, who aren't too busy running away when the next hardship comes. It's the kind of people, uh, if you've ever seen this, like lighthouses on the bay when uh, the waves come crashing in and they're built in a way on the kind of rock and the kind of fashion to where they stay standing no matter how bad the storm is. Uh, when I was, uh, I lived in Colorado right out of college and we went white water rafting. Now I'm from Springfield, Illinois. We don't do whitewater rafting in the town I grew up in. Uh, there's creeks and puddles. That's about it. And so uh, when I was out there, we took a bunch of junior high kids whitewater rafting. I thought, junior high kids whitewater rafting. These kids grew up in Colorado. And so we went out, and I remember watching as this well, water was moving, and they were telling me all this stuff. Oh, these are categories threes and fours. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, how high does it go? And they're like, fives. And I was like, what? Like, what's a five? Niagara Falls. I'm like, we're doing fours? Like, what's going on? Right? So all this stuff. And I remember uh, uh, we were at this one point and we pulled off to the side and you could just see just the water moving like crazy. And in the middle of it, there was this rock that was standing right in the middle of the water and the water was cutting around it and splashing up. And right on top of that rock uh, were these two birds just chilling out, taking it easy. I go back to that image for one reason, because for me, it's a reminder of Because they were on something solid that was standing in the middle of this raging river, they had no issues about what was going on. When I was in the boat flowing through it, I was scared to death. Wasn't letting the 13-year-olds know that, but I was crying. Because I'm not in control. I can't do this. What I'm in is not built to get me through it. But when they were standing on the rock, they were fine. Many of us aren't standing on the rock. Many of us haven't found our way into the fortress. We're not getting behind the shield. We've not found power in who God is. And so we're continually run over and run through by the waters that surge all around us and the struggles that hit and we get knocked up against the walls. Why? Because we're not standing on the right thing. Paul reminds us that you've got to be suited up You've got to have faith, trust, righteousness, truth, so that when this stuff comes at you, you are equipped to handle it. Suit up, depression, isolation, loss, insecurities, grief, anger, unforgiveness. Satan's coming at you. Perseverance comes when you're suited up and ready to stand in battle. Because if you're not suited up, you'll be knocked down. 
The last thing is this, is developing perseverance out of struggle, is you've got to stay growing up. Stay growing up. A lot of us said our cute prayer in front of the church that let everybody know that we believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, my Lord and Savior. And we crossed a finish line and we put up a lawn chair and sat there. Because we thought that was where we finished. Instead of realizing that's where the gun goes off and you launch into the race. And we've stopped where we were supposed to start. And we've not matured because we camped out. Don't miss this. Maturity is when what's been in you starts to bear fruit through you. It's when the Spirit of God starts filling areas of your life and fruit from that starts showing up in ways you never thought it would be possible. Paul writes and reminds us when the Spirit of God is in you, the kind of stuff that produces out of that, the fruit that comes from it is love and joy, peace. It's stuff like patience. I love, in different translations, the Greek language there is kind of tricky, but it gives us this idea not just of patience, uh, forbearance. But we don't use that word in our everyday life. It can be translated as long-suffering. That the fruit of the Spirit of God that's in you will produce someone who can suffer well. It'll produce the kind of person that when things are rough, you're okay. That when the storm is raging, you're walking on water. Sleep on the back of the boat on a pillow because it's not affecting you. Because you know who's in control. You know what fortress you run to. You know what shield you hide behind. Getting through suffering well is the sign, is a sign of the Spirit's work in you. James chapter 1 verse 2, one of my favorite sections of Scripture. One that I have memorized, not because I made note cards, but because I've had to run to it so often. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know, and I'm asking you to start knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It's refining you. It's developing you. It's getting you battle ready. It's producing something in you. This trial that you're currently sitting in, if you surrender yourself to God in the struggle, will mess up some stuff in your life, but it will develop perseverance in your soul. James says, let perseverance finish its work. Let that characteristic that's being formed in you not stop doing its job. Don't run away from the hard times. Press into it. Don't get scared and stop because it gets difficult. Follow Jesus. Be led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And when it finishes its work, you would be mature. Mature. It's a word we don't value much. We value knowledge. We value information. We value skills. We value success. We don't value maturity enough. God values maturity. He builds us into it. It is a checkpoint we need to cross. Because in that maturity and being complete, not lacking anything. How does that sound? 
Some of you are looking for any cheap way out of the suffering rather than following Jesus through it. We're better at numbing the pain than we are surrendering to Jesus. And we get stuck in places of immaturity. Here's the result. For a lot of us, we've been through the ringer, and the saddest thing is that we've not stepped into the promised maturity and wholeness or abundance because we put ourselves in charge and dipped out rather than following Jesus and pressing in. The struggle you're in now, let it test some areas of your life. It's going to test some new areas, things that you've not had God mess with before. He's going to press into things that you didn't realize he had concern over. You didn't even know it was a thing in your life. And guess what? He's going to press into some old stuff too. He's going to go back to stuff you thought you were over because you're not done yet. So that you can develop perseverance. And once it finishes its work, you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I believe one of the biggest reasons that we feel so depleted and broken and distraught is because we haven't allowed God to develop us when we've been struggling. We've just rolled over and taken a beating until the storm was over and we get up more damaged than what we went in. We count up our losses, we move forward, and that's the victory at the end of it. Instead of becoming the kinds of people, here's what I want you to think about. The people you value most is spiritual maturity in your life. For some of you, it's your parents, maybe your grandparents. It might be someone sitting in this room. It could have been a deacon or an elder or a Sunday school teacher at the church you grew up in. It could have been your next-door neighbor, one of your in-laws. My guess is the people who you look up to them are only in the spiritual place they're in because of what God formed in them when they were struggling. Because you watched the single mom go through the ringer and you saw what God developed in her. And it spurred something in you to develop that kind of person in you. You watched in the middle of financial struggle and marital issues and all this stuff. You watched them cling to Jesus and become somebody that's mature. And you aspire to be like that. But we run away from the classroom that God teaches that in. If you aren't maturing up, you will be beaten down because God will not waste this suffering. He is developing perseverance in you. And this season of struggle is the most effective classroom for your maturity. And he's maturing you for greater things. I love, uh, I got to sit and talk to a guy who did professional boxing. Big dude. I'm a big dude. This guy made me not look like a big dude. And we were talking about all this stuff, and I realized this guy had knocked out people and all kinds of stuff that was crazy. And the funny thing listening to him is, he was saying, you've got to get really good at getting the trash kicked out of you if you're going to stand up and do well in a boxing ring. You can throw all the punches you want to, but if you can't take one, you're going to fall. And the same thing's true in our spiritual life. We've got to figure out how to cling to God when we're getting hit. So that when God starts bringing victory, we're ready to move forward. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 says, We also in our suffer we glory in our sufferings because we know that perseverance produces character. Now let me keep going with that verse. Because he says, then perseverance produces character. Character. The kind of person you are, who your family sees you as. A lot of us have everyone in this world tricked except for the people that live in our own home. 
Because we're real good at lying. We're real bad at character. Perseverance produces character. And character gives us hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Hope is the word. It's hope. Not an immature, ignorant hope, but a hope that has been strengthened and refined and developed in the crucible of suffering. A hope that's been backed by a person of persevering character. It's not believing in a fairy tale where it's the kind of hope that's fluffy and it's got rainbows and unicorns and lollipops and it looks really cute and glittery. It's not cursive on your kitchen wall so that your dining room looks way more trendy. It's the real kind of hope that was birthed through this hardship that developed you into being someone that knew if I could trust God and he got me through that season, there's more hope on the back end than what I ever thought possible. In verse 6 he says this, See, at just the right time, we always want God to come early. One of my professors in college said, God is rarely early, but he's never late, and he's always on time. And we're reminded here, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, that's not the most fun feeling in the world. You've known it because you've been by somebody's hospital bed and you couldn't do anything. You know it because people you love are, are, are struggling on the inside with something that you can't get in and manage and control. But at just the right time, when you were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. God showed out what love really looks like and how personalized it is for each one of us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still running away from God because you still thought you could do it on your own. You aren't too far gone. You aren't damaged goods. You aren't a lost cause. And you're not as right about everything as you think you are. Jesus knew who we were and still decided that we were worth dying for. And even though you feel like you're losing, God hasn't let go. He has a dream for your life and he's carrying it on to completion. So in the middle of this chaotic, depressing, anger-inducing, confusing time in history, struggle and suffering, we have a peace in God through Christ. When Daniel was in the lion's den, overnight, with the lions, God didn't shut the cave before Daniel got there so he didn't have to go in. He still had to go in. He still had to sit with those lions all night. That's struggle. 